Greater things are yet to be done in this city. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just pray before we come to the Word of God tonight, today. Lord, I just want to thank you for your goodness. I just want to thank you for the wonderful witness that we've seen today of those that have obeyed you to go through the waters of baptism. Lord, we just want to celebrate with them and rejoice with them and pray your blessing over their lives. And Lord, as we just come to your word this morning, we just pray that you would reveal your love to us in a new way, that you'd be speaking to us and give us, giving us understanding that, Lord, um, as, as we come to your word, it will actually change us, Lord, because it is all-powerful. We pray that it would become flesh in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I was uh, wondering about what to preach. I just felt the Lord speaking to me this week. And, and when I watched that rugby game during the week and the Lions got beaten by the Blues, yes. I thought to myself, I know my favourite verse. Better a live dog than a dead lion. That could be a good subject for today. But I thought maybe just a little bit too soon. Let's just wait and see what happens on Saturday. So that was a good game last night. And it looks like the All Blacks might get a bit of a fight, which is good, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, what we're talking about this morning, we've been we're looking at a series around the gospel and about sharing our faith. And... Um, the, the subject that I felt the Lord wanted us to look at today was uh, fusion or confusion. Fusion or confusion. Kelly came up with that picture, which I think was brilliant, because it's sort of messy. And there's, there's some power there. There's a lot going on with all those wires. And, uh, but it looks pretty confusing. I wouldn't want to sort it out if I was... A, te a technician or whatever they have that climb up poles and look at stuff like that uh, and deal with it. It looks kind of dangerous. But it's sometimes you might be able to relate to that. You know, fusion is the joining together of two separate forces to make one. And confusion is uncertainty of what is happening intended or required. So fusion is the joining together of two separate for forces to make one. And two, uncertainty, that is confusion, is uncertainty of what is happening intended or required. Jenny and I are sort of beginning a group called um, Living from the Inside Out. Because a lot of us, I believe, and I can certainly look back at my life and my Christian life, which is over 40, over 40 years now, wow. and know that a lot of the time, and still I got sort of pulled up a wee bit this week on it too, and that is we tend to live from the outside in. In other words, we live from that place where circumstances and troubles and life come at us and we react to them, and they bring us down. 
And we've had some testimonies this morning of the ups and downs of, of the lives of those that were baptized. And I can certainly look back at my 40-odd years as a Christian. And some of that time was away from the things of God and away from church. But you know, one thing I do know is that he never left me. He never left me. No matter what I was doing, he was on my case. And every now and again, he would show up through somebody or circumstance and say, come on back, Graham. Come on back. His love is always towards us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And one thing, the passion, I guess, of our heart is that we start living from the inside out. Living from that place where we can share his love from what we have received that is within us. I just... uh, I haven't got it up on the screen. I just want to read a scripture that that the Lord really put on my heart this morning. And it's from um, John chapter 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. It says here, just on from there in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He will make our home with him. There's a place that's comfort. You imagine you're at home. There's a certain sense that, you know, when you're at home and you're comfortable and the fire's roaring and you're on the couch and you're just enjoying relaxing after a hard day's work. There's nothing like it. It's sort of comfort. Home is a comfortable place. And the Lord wants to be comfortable in your life. He, want, he doesn't want you to be confused like that, trying to keep all sorts of rules and regulations and so on. He wants you to be comfortable with him. He wants an intimate relationship with us, a relationship that is loving. He is full of love. He is the God, God is a God of love. He loves us to pieces. In John 13, 34, 35, we read, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the testimony of the early church was the power was in the love the church had for one another. We've heard it shared this morning, Carol shared, that the love of this church kept her going, has kept her going. The love we have for one another keeps us going. 
it sustains us. We need each other. We're made for a fusion with God and a fusion with each other. Amen? And all men will look and see. Look how they love one another. Look how they love one another. And that will be the drawing power. Not the rules and the regulations and the the ins and outs that sometimes we can get tied down with and the devil ties us up so often. We try to bring confusion. That's his game. That's what he does. But you know, the devil is a liar. I had a sort of a bit of a God moment yesterday. I went to a conference here in town and um, there was an evangelist healing with healing ministry preaching and she was amazing. And she called one or two people up and she called up this lady that I recognised. I hadn't seen her for, what, 20-odd years and uh, I know her story well because I was instrumental in praying her through into the kingdom back in Massey in Auckland 40 years ago. And I thought, Lord, why have you brought this lady forward? The, the evangelist called her forward and, and prayed over and prophesied over and said she would be seeing visions, called her into a place of intercession. Now, I knew her because her, her story was quite remarkable. Uh, as I've shared before, I'd come out of the... The Lord had, had baptised me with the Spirit. I'd come out of the Christadelphian sect. And she and her husband were friends, close friends. And they'd, it had caused... Us go, coming out had caused all sorts of problems in our relationship, although we'd kept, we'd kept going and meeting and hanging out and going on to the odd movie as you did back when you were in, the tw- in your 20s, before the kids arrived. And we prayed for, prayed for them, prayed for them, prayed for their salvation. And about three months after we'd started going, well, I think we were going to Valley Road Baptist Church at the time from memory, and went round there one day and they were sitting on the couch, they were at home, in that comfortable place. And she was bawling her eyes out, crying. And we sort of looked at her and, what's going on? She said, I had this vision. I've had this vision of the cross and Jesus on the cross. And he just appeared to me and said, I died for you, I love you. And then she got another vision, come out and be ye separate. That was a call out of that sect. It was supernatural. And she was crying her eyes out, and they went on, and the next few weeks later they were baptised, and we went on to start getting involved in in planting the the Massey Baptist Church. And we saw our next-door neighbours saved there in Holland now, in the ministry, I believe. And God was sort of moving in just a remarkable way. I said, Lord, what are you saying now, today? Pulling Lindsay out and prophesying over her. And I saw her afterwards. I said, that's you. She said, that's me. 
That's exciting. And I just sense in my spirit that God is moving. God is doing something new. And those of us that were maybe around in the, the 70s and the 80s, and we saw that maybe that's where we got saved. Maybe we came to the Lord in that period of time. And it was exciting times. You know, the thing, thing is, life had presented her with a lot of challenges over the years. They'd lost a child. Their marriage had broken up. There was a lot of these wires going on, a lot of confusion. A lot of stuff went down for them, as it has for many of us. But God is faithful. God keeps us even when we get confused. God calls us to a place and establishes and pours his love out on us. One of the beauties, I believe, of John's writing is that he writes from a place of the revelation of the love of God. When we read John's gospel and we read his letters, they're full of God's love. They're full of the truth of Jesus Christ living within us by his spirit. And in 1 John we read, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love I just love that because as he is so also are we in this world. It's that simple. But it, we kind of make it complicated by do this, do that, we've got to please God. We've got, he is pleased with us. As he is, so are we in this world. What has God declared over you? He's declared over you everything that is in Christ. Our identity is in everything that Jesus is. As he is, so are we in this world. And you might say, that, well, I don't kind of measure up to Jesus. <laughs> I don't measure up to how good he is, how loving he is. Dying on the cross, doing all he did, the miracles, his love, everything that's manifest. But it says it, we're told that we are in him, Christ in us. We are fused together with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ 
that lives in me. I've come to be your helper. I've come within you. I've made myself at home with you. Jesus has made himself at home within you. But we get all tied up with our sin. We get all tied up with our failures. We get all tied up with our mistakes. When Jesus is saying, now look, look at me. Look at me. In James it talks about looking at a mirror and then going away and forgetting all about what we see. But when we look in the Lord as a mirror and he shines upon us he's saying my reflection who I am is actually in you who I am is in me and we kind of struggle with this because we're used to everything that's wrong on the outside of us and what we see we look at the things that we see rather than the things that we don't see. I've just got a quote that I'd like to read to you. And it's, uh, it's from a book called Operation Screwtape by Andrew Farley. <coughs> and it's a modern-day version of C.S. Lewis's um, Screwtape Letters, for those of you that are familiar with that work by C.S. Lewis. So it's a... Go- Excuse me, it's a conversation between a senior devil and a junior. And it's a little bit amusing, it's tongue-in-cheek, but there's a real truth here. And I just want you to get a hold of it. This is the senior devil speaking to the junior. Some who are well-grounded in the work, that's the Christian work, can still be moved to embrace ambiguity when it comes to the day of judgment. If you weigh on them the idea that they will be held accountable, judged for the sins one day, you cast a shadow on their understanding and incite fear. Yes, even when they have believed in the blood and counted on the salvation from consuming fires, you will attain a position of strength over them once they begin entertaining the concept of a sin judgment. Here you use an uncertain future for their benefit, employing them to await the return of the Lord and judge with a suitable degree of godly fear. This hinders them from confidently and eagerly awaiting his return. The impending judgment they imagine blinds them to this lonesome, loathsome, loathsome love that should cast away their concern. Fear of the future impacts the present. By projecting the image of a future judgment on the canvas of their minds, you introduce confusion and ultimately breed panic. Sure, they nod their heads at the notion of the enemy remembering their sins no more. By the enemy, he means God. Sure, they nod their heads at the notion of the enemy remembering their sins no more, but they are still quite willing to believe he will recall their sins once again on Judgment Day. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Although the blatant contradiction is more than apparent to us, these buffoons simply do not register their own double-mindedness. Hence, the work is perceived as powerless 
due to the haze we pour over them. Now, if you sort of get that, what he's actually saying is that we, we've been transported into life. The judgment is over. We're free from punishment because the punishment has been carried by Jesus on our behalf. Okay? Amen? You get that. He's not going to count up our sins. When he looks at his hand, you know, as some Christians believe that, oh, I've got to keep a short record. Now, I believe that we need to sort of say, sorry, Lord, don't get me wrong. I, need, I, I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us and gets us on, keeps us on the straight and narrow. But when God looks at his hand concerning you with the, what's written there, he doesn't seem, see a whole lot of sins that he's going to bring back to mind on Judgment Day. They're all dealt with. He sees your name on his hand. Your name is on his hand. The Bible talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't be unborn when we've been reborn. Jesus, Nicodemus came to Jesus and by night he was fearful. Fear is, okay, it has its place. But out of context, fear is destructive. It produces hatred. It produces brokenness. We react. We run. We fight due to fear. And we've been delivered from fear in Jesus' name. Fear is vanquished. It says here quite clearly, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And we're in process in the sense that fear is being dealt with. Because fear is the opposite to trust and faith. Fear is a very powerful form of faith going backwards. And it'll take us away from trusting in the Lord and operating from the peace that is in, within our hearts. And we can get fearful of the future. We can get fearful of the past and the consequences of the past. But we've been called to a place of peace and love, knowing that God's love is so, so much more powerful than any fear or any sin. Jesus has far, far more lit love than you have sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus has far more love for you than you have sin. And his love is all-powerful and able to free you from fear and from sin. Because as he is, so are we in this world, in him, in him. We are fused together with Christ. We've been brought into fellowship. We've been brought into unity and we are one with him. The Bible declares this over us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The kingdom of God is within you. In him we live, we move, 
we have our being. What can separate us from the love of God? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God is at work within you to will and to work his good pleasure. There are amazing promises in his word. He has spoken over you. He has spoken over me. He has brought us to that place of safety, that place of fusion with him, not confusion, of keeping a whole lot of regulations and rules and to please him, but to live out of his spirit, to dwell in his spirit, to dwell on his word, to reflect in his glory, to know that, you know, as we, maybe those of us that are older, we lift our little grandchildren up and we say, aren't you gorgeous, aren't you lovely, aren't you beautiful? That's the same love that God has for you. The same love. Hallelujah. I wonder whether we could just bow our heads. I want to just um, read a prayer over you. It's, uh, it's in Ephesians, just as we sort of close. And it's in Ephesians chapter 3, and it's a <clears throat> just a, a wonderful prayer that I believe... if we could just meditate on it and take it in as we read it. Know that the Apostle, imagine that the Apostle Paul is reading it over you and he's written this to you today in Christchurch, June 2017. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.